That doesn't ring a bell for any of us, does it? <laughs> it's tough getting old. Don't try it. Gary and I were shocked when our youngest son turned 30 a few months ago. How did that happen? And our two older children are approaching 40. Wow. So when we look at birthday cards, we notice that the popular humor on aging focuses on wrinkles, sagging body parts, memory loss, incontinence, and diminishing sex drive and sex appeal. And I ask you, what is so funny about all of that? As my mother often said, it's tough getting old, don't try it. Aging is an issue that creates a certain amount of emotional dissonance in most of us. Too often, aging is seen as a disease, a process to be feared and loathed and rarely anticipated with excitement. In fact, I was surprised last evening about how many of the poems had to do with aging and death. One of my colleagues, Catherine Sengus, notes that part of our fear and resistance to aging comes from our societal norms. She writes, everywhere we look, we see people pressured to maintain a youthful appearance. It's one thing to exercise regularly, eat sensibly, and keep our minds active. It's another thing to have our appearance surgically altered to minimize wrinkles and the natural aging that occurs over the decades. Do we color our hair for fun and creative expression or to mask the graying that is natural? Why does anyone think that telling someone they don't look their age is a compliment? Why would we lie about our age? What's so scary about aging? I'm certain there are many answers to these questions, and today I'm going to share some of mine. My hope is that we might move in the direction of cherishing, perhaps relishing, and certainly accepting aging as a part of the human condition. Ageism is pervasive in our society, and I believe that our Unitarian Universalist principles call us to promote the inherent worth and dignity of all of us, no matter how young or old, how vital or how infirm. One thing I know for sure is this. The longer we live, the more likely we are to experience multiple losses. Because aging guarantees loss and its companion grief. Following any change, even those that we might consider positive, there is a loss of some kind. And frequently, change and loss beg the question, who am I now, as we struggle to reinvent ourselves within the scope of whatever our new reality might be? Even as more and more people live into their 90s and 100s, maintaining good health and active minds and bodies, with advancing age, we become aware of and often fear the limitations we might have to endure. In all likelihood, we simply won't be able to do all the same things we did when we were 20 or 40 or even 60. 
never mind our fear of death. We are afraid of vulnerability. We are afraid of increased dependency upon others. We are afraid of loss of power and influence. Well, I want to let you in on a little secret. Worry and fear do not prevent you from getting older. In fact, they might age you more quickly. While fear is a normal human response to imminent danger, dwelling on fearful thoughts is rarely helpful in any way. So staying engaged with people and active, being connected to activities that interest you, finding and following your passions, these are the avenues for healthy minds and bodies, no matter what your age. But let's for a moment entertain some of the what-ifs of aging. As I witness the decline of my father and mother-in-law, and as I observe the increasing difficulty my mother had with memory and logic, I admit that I am sometimes afraid I'm becoming my mother. Though I try to take my own advice and not dwell on that fear. My difficulty retrieving words that seemed a moment ago to be right on the tip of my tongue is probably more a function of stress or hormones than it is a function of brain deterioration. At least I hope so. This difficulty, however, reminds me how we, Unitarian Universalists especially, place such great value and indeed base our very identity upon our capacity to think, to remember, to reason. As we look around at our elders or our peers, we are apt to be grateful for sound minds even when physical health begins to fail. We may acknowledge the tragedy of a sharp mind imprisoned in a body that will no longer do its bidding. But we fear even more the idea of our bodies carrying on when what each of us thinks of as the I inside gets confused or lost or simply fades away. Oliver Sacks, in his book, The Man Who Mistook His Wife for a Hat, describe patients with a number of neurological difficulties. Some were similar to the various forms of dementia that sometimes afflict the old or even the not-so-old. Sachs described a man he called Jimmy G. Although Jimmy had a 20-year career in the Navy, he retained no memory of anything after 1945. He was intelligent with tasks that could be completed in a short time. For example, he was a whiz at tic-tac-toe and checkers. But he couldn't play chess because the time between moves was too long and, and he would forget his place in the game. He'd forget what he was doing. He didn't make lasting connections with people that he met in the present. So if you met him, in the present of his lifetime and left the room and came back in, you'd have to reintroduce yourself again. He wouldn't remember you. The only person Jimmy G recognized was his brother. But he only remembered him from about 1945. 
so when his brother would show up, Jimmy G couldn't understand why his brother looked so old. He didn't get that. And he would begin every visit by asking, well, how is that uh, accounting degree going along that you're working on? How's that coming? And how is that pretty little fiancé of yours? Actually, Jimmy's brother had graduated many, many years before. He had married his fiancé, and he was a grandfather. Had multiple grandchildren by then. Now, you might think, how sad. What a waste. What a loss. But in fact, Jimmy G. found solace and perhaps even joy in his life as he participated in the rituals of his religious upbringing, singing familiar hymns, reading or reciting familiar prayers and passages. Those moments provided a thread that somehow bound together past, present, and future. And there were other less formal rituals that connected Jimmy to a sense of identity and meaning and purpose. Gardening, for example, in the assisted living community where he lived, he loved to work in the garden. And in working in that garden, he somehow found the echoes of gardens past. So day by day, as he worked the soil, pulled the weeds, watered the plants, he related to the ongoing life and health and beauty of the garden. Again, finding that thread that connected him to past, present, and future and restored his spirit. Here's another story from Ruth, a friend from Rockford, Illinois. At the memorial service for her mother, Eleanor, Ruth spoke of her spirited mother's eagerness to embrace life, her loving nature, her example of integrity, compassion, and community involvement. Ruth also talked about some of the experiences with Eleanor as dementia brought significant changes to their lives. I've asked Rita to share a little of that story this morning. We have a very large frame photo of my dad. And after he died, mother would carry the photo from room to room so dad could be with her. As the mist of memory loss descended, he seemed quite real to her. I once arrived in Mom's apartment to find her sitting faced away from the TV, but Dad's photo sat on a chair facing the TV. When I asked Mom, what's going on here? She said, always watching sports or something. Although I admired much about the woman my mother had been, eventually she lived only in the present. Memory loss is not such a terrible thing once you learn the new opportunities it presents. Once I bought my mother flowers, which she put on the dresser. The next day, as we walked by those flowers, I pointed them out, and she said, Oh, yes, those flowers have been here as long as I can remember. And she laughed. I think she knew it was a great line. In the last years, Eleanor was not able to speak very often or very well. While she could talk a little, I worried about whether or not I truly understood what she wanted or needed. When I asked her if I was managing to understand what she wanted and needed, she said yes. It took me a while to realize why this was true. If mother had not stopped talking, I never would have realized 
how expressive her face was. She had an incredible variety of expressions, a raised eyebrow, a furrowed brow, a big smile, a slight nod of the head, and a devilish wink, augmented by a few key sounds, the most notable being what we called the whoop. We always knew what she meant. I am grateful for the friends and caregivers who gave my mother love and support and dignity during the last years, the people who made it possible for her to have her toes in the grass in summer, a child by her chair, a cat on her bed, and a smile on her face for so long. Now the two stories you've just heard might be called success stories, even though initially you might think of them as tragic, given the so-called afflictions of aging and mental decline. While Jimmy G and Eleanor retain some of their recognizable personalities, they could be said to have achieved an unasked-for state of zen. They were required by their disabilities to enjoy what each moment of the day had to offer. Their identities, though still tied in some ways to habits of the past, were also in some fashion determined moment to moment. Do these stories make you feel any less apprehensive about your aging process? Probably not. No one would choose to endure diminishing mental or physical capacities. Despite the best intentions and advice of teachers like Deepak Chopra, Andrew Weil, and others, we all will experience at least some losses that come with aging. And as I've said, with each change, we might wonder, who am I now? What am I worth now? What is my purpose now? And we might experience a heightened sense of powerlessness. Let's talk for a moment about powerlessness. Let's consider if there's a way to put a positive spin on that very scary sounding concept. To that end, I've asked Gary to read a passage adapted from one of my favorite resources, the book called If I Should Wake Before I Die by Hospice Chaplain Lamont Satterley. <clears throat> Control is one of your best things, says my wife. The problem is that it doesn't work. Control is an addictive issue in the lives of most people. It mirrors the insecurity of the world that we live in. If only we could have some guarantees about how things are going to come out, we might be able to relax a bit on the control stuff. The trouble is, however, that life offers no guarantees, and we know it. Bad things do happen to good people, and just because you brush with fluoride doesn't mean you won't get cavities. Exercise does not mean you won't die. Neither do 2,000 units of vitamin C every day. The truth is that control and fear walk closely together in life. The more unsafe you feel about something, the more important it will be for you to try to control that area of your world. Feeling powerless to prevent something bad from happening is one of the worst experiences you may have to endure. 
Unfortunately, the only way to the other side of powerlessness is through surrender. And although surrender sometimes gets bad press, in reality, surrender is a decision of power, not weakness. When you surrender, it is always through a choice you make to stop trying to control what is happening and instead ride the wave to the next stop. Surrender does not mean you will die tomorrow. It has nothing to do with time. It means that you are halting your fight with control. Surrender is a power word. It simply says that you recognize or become open to other ways to approach your situation. Recently, I was driving on extremely icy roads, or around here maybe rainy, wet roads, slipping and sliding with each turn or acceleration. What I learned was to avoid using the brakes every time I started to slide because that only made matters worse. Rather, if I took my foot off the accelerator when beginning to skid and resisted the impulse to slam on the brakes, I flowed straight through the icy spot. This is how it is with powerlessness. The more you resist, the more you slide off the road. Loss of control is nothing new to any of us. We never had it. Sadly, we just acted as though we did. My grandmother, my grandmother lived to be almost 103. And my mother died. That's too low now. I can't control it. <laughs> That's good. Thank you. My mom died uh, just before her 93rd birthday. So if heredity triumphs, <laughs> this happened a lot last night. Well, hope it stays. So if heredity triumphs, I can look forward to a long life. I may at some point need assistance, as both of my parents did. My mom always said, I don't want to be a burden to my children. And that's an admirable goal, I guess. But one of the problems with trying to maintain control when you really could use some assistance is that it creates a lot of tension in important relationships. So one of the toughest parts of aging is a struggle to accept our feelings and our need to be more dependent. When things that we used to do for ourselves easily become monumental tasks, it's probably time to ask for some help. In a culture that encourages self-sufficiency, that's not always easy to do. But part of surrender, our new power word, part of letting go, going with the flow, looking for different solutions, is receiving. Many of us have a really difficult time receiving. I think about some of the men and women in the cancer support groups I used to facilitate. They seemed unable to set their caretaking roles aside. And they went to great lengths to maintain the status quo, to act as if nothing was wrong, until they were 
utterly exhausted to the detriment of their own health and well-being. They and often we think of ourselves as doers and givers. So receiving can feel like foreign territory. Whether we require help because of illness, injury, or the changes of time and age, receiving can be hard work. Receiving forces us to deal with our feelings of unworthiness including some of the feelings of shame that we associate with our bodies. Receiving requires that we admit to really needing other people. Do I need to do something different? All right. We may feel angry at ourselves for having to put people we care about into helping roles. Sometimes receiving causes us to examine our relationship with others and come face to face with unresolved issues and regrets. Receiving, even and perhaps especially from those we love, can be a very trying and complicated transition from a state of greater to lesser independence. Like my mom, no one really wants to be a burden, and she wasn't. But I wonder if we might think about receiving in different terms. I wonder if we might somehow release some of our resistance to receiving by looking at receiving as a gift. That's right. That may sound confusing, but it's generally true. When we allow someone to do something for us, our gracious receiving is a gift to them. Our receptivity to their love and caring becomes a blessing, an expression of gratitude, a mutual honoring of our common humanity. Receiving in ways large and small, simple and challenging, even messy and smelly, gets us to the bottom line of love. These acts of giving and receiving allow us, without words, to say, it's okay. You matter to me. You, the essence of humanity, matter to me. You, the spark of divinity, matter to me. You matter. Everything about the person you've been, the person you are now, the person you will be, matters. So let us have the wisdom to know and remember that gracious receiving is a gift to both the giver and the receiver. As I've said, my mom used to joke, it's tough getting old, don't try it. And I often responded, it beats the alternative. And I won't pretend that aging and caregiving are always easy or fun. But I will say that part of the reason I became a Unitarian Universalist was that I saw the energy, the commitment, the compassion, the wonderful things being accomplished by the elder members of the congregations I've attended. I was inspired. 
and many of you also inspire me. Part of the reason people join a church is their hope for a caring community to which they can belong and by which they will be valued for all their days. May we be that community for one another. Amen.